How many think God is up to something? He really is. God is up to something. Now, Genesis chapter 13, I want to begin with today. But let me read these first. I heard about this minister. He was up on the pulpit preaching away one Sunday morning when he noticed a man on the front row sound asleep. That's why few people will even sit on our front row. That made him so aggravated that he started preaching louder and harder. But it seemed like the louder he got, the sounder he slept. So he finally stopped right in the middle of his sermon and said to the man sitting next to him, Would you please wake that man up? The man said, Wake him up yourself. You put him to sleep. <laughs> I heard about this minister that died. He was standing in line at the pearly gates. In front of him was a man dressed in, loud, in a loud shirt, wearing blue jeans and sunglasses. St. Peter asked him, what's your name, sir? He said, my name is Joe Cohen. Taxi cab driver, New York City. Peter checked his, uh, checked his list and handed him a gold staff, a silk robe, and said, welcome to heaven. The minister stepped up and said, I'm Reverend Joseph Snow, pastor of St. Mary's Cathedral. Peter checked his list and handed him a cotton robe and a wooden staff. And he said, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. The taxi cab driver got a gold staff and a silk robe. How could that be? Peter said, sir, up here we work by results. When you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. All right. Uh, today I want to go a little bit deeper with a couple of things that we have been talking about. Just to see, do you ever read your Bible and, and you're thinking, okay, that's amazing, that's great, but how does that apply to me? How is that going to affect my life? What, what do I need to do, God? What are you speaking to me? What, what is God speaking to us as we launch into this new year? Genesis chapter 13 Verse 14, I'm going to read through verse 17. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man <coughs> excuse me, could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. God was desiring his man Abram to see the land that he was promised. Lift up your eyes from the place where you are now. I want to show you the promised land. Now, see, when I read that passage this January, last month, I felt like God was talking to me. And, and it felt like he was saying, stop looking at the present. 
Stop looking at your current circumstances. I want you to see your promised land. I want, to, I want you to see the, the things that I have promised you. But you have to lift up your eyes and stop looking at the present. Stop letting your gaze be captivated by the way things are right now. I have good things for you. And once you see them, you can rise up and begin to take possession of what I have given you. You can arise and walk the length and breadth of it, but you have to be willing to lift up your eyes and see it first. And see, I know that's, that's not just a word for me. I, I believe it's for a lot of us, and I know it's for us as a local church. The promises of God are meant to fill us with hope about the future. God's kids of all people should be the most hopeful people on the planet. And I want to talk about hope today. Where does it come from? How, how significant is it? How vital is it in our lives? So let me begin by defining hope. Now see, the word hope today in our, in our vernacular as we use it, it, it doesn't mean the same thing as when you see the word hope in your Bible. Today, when we say, well, I, I hope this or I, I hope that, what I'm really saying is I wish this would happen. I wish that would happen. But let me give you the Bible definition of hope. This is in your notes. Hope is the joyful anticipation of good. It is living with an anticipation of good. Living with an expectation and excitement about what is coming. It is based on the revelation of who God is and his goodness and the promises that he has made to us, his children. Living with a joyful expectation and excitement concerning the future. You know, some people live with the very opposite of hope. They live with dread or, or, or even fear of what the future will hold. But as God's people, we don't have to live like that at all. That's not kingdom. In fact, that's contrary to kingdom living. That comes from listening to the wrong voices and our gaze being captivated by the wrong things. Now, I want to draw a couple, or a couple thoughts out of several verses of Scripture today. Let me pray before we do that. Father, we just open our hearts to you today. Father, I pray that you would anoint your word, let it be living, and let it do what you desire it to do in each one of our lives. Father, we thank you that your word is a living word, and Lord, we embrace it with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, 16. I quoted this verse last Sunday when I was doing the soap. It wasn't my soap verse. It, it just confirmed my soap verse. But let me read it again. John 15, verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. How many here are disciples of Jesus? About half of you. Okay. <laughs> I, I need to have a salvation message before I go on. It says, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. 
Now, see, you may have thought that it was your idea to become a Christian. But actually, God initiated that process with you, and you just responded to what he initiated. It was God's idea for you to be part of his family. And I just want to declare over you today, John 15, 16, you are a chosen people. You are chosen of God. You have been appointed and ordained by God to be fruitful, to bear the kind of fruit that remains, that is, that has eternal significance. It's God's idea for you to live a productive life. And he has invited you into a place of experiencing answered prayer, of receiving from God through prayer, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, I know that we believe that because Jesus said it. But do we really believe it? Deep down, do you really believe that? Because my belief system, my deep belief system, is really where I live from. Not my surface thoughts, but someplace deeper than that. Now, I want to look at a couple verses from Paul's letter to the Roman church that, are, that I think are powerful and they're instructive in nature to us. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Presenting your body to him as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship, the New American Standard says, that the New Living Translation says, this is truly the way to worship him. You know, one of the things that we begin to understand about our New Testament relationship with God is that we have been called to be priests unto our God. We've heard the expression, Martin Luther, when he broke away from the Catholic Church, this is one of his big things, and it's the priesthood of all believers. We have been made a kingdom of priests. You are priests unto the Lord your God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, the priesthood, first of all, is a call to intimacy with God, to actually know God not just about God. It's a calling to have an intimate relationship with God. It was the priest who could come before God's presence. The priest stood between God and man. He could stand before God representing the people. He could stand before the people representing God. It was the priests who offered sacrifices to God. And we know as New Testament priests, we are called to offer sacrifices to God. Now, I'm thankful it's not animal sacrifices anymore. Who else is thankful? I had lunch a couple days ago with a guy that used to work out at the, the, the meat packing plant by Boise Cascade, and he was just describing it to me. And I was thinking, man, I'm so thankful I never worked there. 
I'm so thankful that we don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. We get to offer the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. I love, love Hebrews 13, 15. It says, therefore, by him, Jesus, let us continually offer, continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We get to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We get to be thankful to him. And see, that thankfulness comes out of the hope that we have for the future. Part of our thankfulness comes out of knowing that God is a good God and the glorious salvation that he has brought each one of us into. But the sacrifice of praise is not the first sacrifice that we are called to present to God as New Testament priests. Where it begins, the first sacrifice, we just read it a moment ago, the first dimension of our sacrifice, the first act of worship is to present to the Lord our own body. And it, it's an expression of worship before him. It, it's an, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a powerful way to worship God. See, worship is not just me singing praises. But it is also expressed through my obedience to God. Let me read that verse one more time. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is truly, the New Living Translation says, the way to worship him. It's our first expression of worship to God, the, the, the placing our own physical body on the altar as a living sacrifice, the, the choice to yield my members unto God as instruments of righteousness. Paul said this, he said, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. The, the context from which Paul said this was sexual immorality. And he said, flee sexual immorality. Any, any type of, of sexual activity outside of the, 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 the bonds of marriage, and the bonds of marriage are between a man and a woman. Any type of sex outside of God's ordained context is sexual immorality. Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, when a priest offered an animal sacrifice, one of the signs that God received the sacrifice was fire would come down from heaven and consume it. I mean, who doesn't love the story between the old prophet of God and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? You know, the prophets of Baal built their altar, laid out their sacrifice, cried out to God. But apparently it, their God was on vacation. And, and so Elijah, 
He, he builds his altar and, and he offers his sacrifice and he pours water all over the place just so there can't be any confusion when God shows up. And God showed up and not only consumed the sacrifice, but it consumed the altar and there was no water left either. When, when a sacrifice is received by God, his fire comes and consumes that sacrifice. When I present my body to God as a living sacrifice, I'm actually asking for a baptism of fire that, that will sanctify me. Pura fica me, Señor. Because I want to burn for God. I want my heart to be pure, and I want to burn for God. Now, I heard a preacher say one time, he said, if you want to be on fire for God, if you want to burn for God, give him something to burn. Give him something to ignite. Put something on the altar. If you haven't presented yourself to him in this manner, you've not given him anything to set on fire, to ignite. <laughs> you know, I, I was just going to talk about this. But I feel like we need to take a minute and do it. Could we just stand together for a moment? I, I want to ask you just a couple questions. Are you willing to lay down your life for the one who laid down his life for you? Since he died for you, are you willing to live for him? Now, the interesting thing is no one can do this for you. No one. You alone can do it. Now, the results are dangerous. I need to give you a fair warning. When you give yourself to God like this, the dangers are, number one, you might get healed. Because now your vessel, now the vehicle that you live in belongs to God and God takes care of his vehicles. God services his vehicles. You become an instrument that God, it, you are presenting yourself to God for the kingdom and you become a vehicle that he operates through. So that's the first danger. The second danger is that you will experience a, a purification process, the refining fire of the Holy Spirit. And the third danger is that your desires are going to be affected, purified. Your passion for God ignited. God will come and begin to create the right desires in you. It puts a different perspective on, on the passage that says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean that whatever you desire, God's going to give you? Or does that mean God's going to give you righteous, holy desires? So let's pray. So put yourself on the altar. Give him something to ignite. Father, we present ourselves to you today. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. Come and consume us. Consume our lives. Baptize us with your fire so that we burn for you. Purify us. 
empower us, consecrate us. Say this with me, Father, I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. I am yours. Take all of me. I belong to you. You paid a great price for me. Now send your fire and consume my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Holy Spirit, we invite you to just continue moving among us today. In Jesus' name. Okay, you can be seated. But be careful, you've done a dangerous thing. Mm. Thank you, Lord. The passage in Romans 12 is describing a process. We just acted on verse 1 of this process. We put it into practice. So the first part of this process is putting ourselves on the altar and saying, it's all yours, Lord. I lay it all before you. The second part of this process involves the renewing of my mind. It involves experiencing a transformation by the renewing of my mind, my thoughts. Now, now let's read that. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word conform there means to, to fashion alike, to conform to the same pattern. He is saying, don't let the world take you and shape you and mold you. Don't embrace the thinking or the value systems of the world, but rather experience a complete transformation by the renewing of your mind. Now, the Greek word translated renewing is, is from another Greek word that means to renovate. Renovation is the act of renewing or, or restoring something. It, it's not just some new ideas. It's not just some, some new thoughts to be added to my old thoughts. But a restoration, it, 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 it brings something to, to the place where it's supposed to be. Almost like we lost something in the fall in the way we think, in the way we process things, that, that has greatly impeded our perspective, our ability to understand things accurately. So God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and it's like God wants to give us a paradigm shift. And see, that's what Paul is encouraging us to allow, you know, now that you've been born again, present your body to God and become one of his vehicles or instruments in the earth and begin the process of renewing your mind. Now, I want to look at another related verse, and I realize we've talked about these verses recently, but uh, sorry, we're just not done with them yet. First uh, Peter 1, verse 13. Every once in a while, I hear the pitter-patter of little feet. 
John, is that you getting up and running around? <laughs> Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The loins of your mind. They would gird up their loins when they ran or when they went into battle. When you gird up your loins, you're getting ready to do something. You are preparing yourself for an activity, often warfare. And I want you to physically see the girding process. So begin by putting that first slide up. The, 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 the tunic, because of the way it was designed, wouldn't allow you to, to, to work hard or, or to, to fight in battle, uh, necessitating the girding of one's loins. In, in slide number two, this is how it was done. First, uh, the hoisting up the tunic so that all the fabric is above the knees. That This is what you need for mobility. Uh, slide number three. Gather all the extra material in front of you so that the back of the tunic is snug against your backside. Now, I guess I could have just dressed differently and demonstrated this for you, but I didn't want to. So, slide number four. Once the excess fabric is gathered in front, pull it underneath and between your legs to your rear. This, it, it's going to feel much like a diaper. You may not remember what a diaper felt like. <laughs> then, then the five, it says, gather half of the material in each hand, bringing it back around to the front. And finally, tie the two handfuls of material together and you're all set for both battle or, or hard labor. And so that's physically how one girded their loins and they would do it often in preparation for battle. Now, Paul uses that terminology also in Ephesians chapter 6 and the context is warfare. The context is we are not in a battle with flesh and blood, but, but a spiritual warfare, and you need to be prepared for it. And part of that preparation is having your loins girded with truth. And Peter adds this dimension of the loins of your mind. See, girding your loins is preparatory for battle, and we are in a battle. We are in a warfare. We must gird our loins with truth. Does that make sense? Now, in your notes, in your notes, I, I was trying to say the word loins and notes at the same time, I guess. In your notes, notes, loins speak of procreative power. God considers your mind to be a reproductive organ. The transformation that God wants to bring to each one of us involves the renewing, the renovation of the way we think. And the reason it brings transformation is simply because your mind is a reproductive organ. What you embrace internally in the spirit of your mind, you will experience externally. Now, the, the word mind in this verse uh, of scripture is dionaya, dionaya. I might as well just say something in tongues. And it means deep thought. 
by implication, the exercise of deep thought. And it's talking about your underlying belief system. See, our, our surface thoughts and perceptions, they, they, they come out of a deeper place. It, it's not just a matter of dealing with our surface thoughts. I, you know, I wish it was that easy. I, I would just say, instead of uh, a negative person, I'm going to be a positive person. Well, how's that working for you? See, you may entertain some positive thoughts for a while, but then the same old way of thinking. Well, instead of having pessimistic thoughts, I'm going to have optimistic thoughts. Good luck with that. You're, you're, you're just dealing with surface stuff. You have to go deeper than that to experience transformation. Now, why do I say that? Because it's our deep thoughts that need to change. It's my deep belief system that needs to be transformed. It, 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 it's, it's so much more than just trying to think some new thoughts. It's a paradigm shift. It's a radical change in underlying beliefs. See, when our, when our deep belief system experiences change, it's a paradigm shift. It's a whole new perspective. It's like a, a whole new way of thinking, of seeing things. I'm not just adding some new thoughts to my previous thoughts. I am actually embracing a whole new way of thinking. I'm embracing the mind of Christ. Now, I, I want to give you an example in the natural of a, of a paradigm shift. Where, where just the tiniest bit of new information absolutely changes everything. This is out of a book that you're probably familiar with. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. This is just a little story out of that book. I remember a, a mini paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New, New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting, their, their eye, resting and their eyes were closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious, which is a word my dad used to use, that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility for it at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience, and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children 
are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as, as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I, I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle, handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. I felt different. I behaved different. My irritation vanished. I, don't have to, I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the, the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died. I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What, what can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Now, it's funny because I had a similar experience to that. It wasn't in the subway. I was, I was flying back from a, a, a town in Oregon where there, there had just been a power and love conference that I had gone to. And I, I'm, I, I'm on this plane, and there's, it's a smaller plane. Like There's only, I think, two seats on each side. And right beyond me on this side is an Asian woman whose baby is just crying. And, and I mean, we haven't even taken off. And, you know, the sound of a crying baby can be irritating. Did I just say that out loud? But, but here's the thing. I, I got in a conversation with her because, you know, I was just heading back, you know, from Oregon. I said, I, I just said, well, where, where are you coming from today? She said, uh, Singapore. She had been on a plane for hours and hours and hours. And it changed my whole attitude about that baby. I, I, just, I just began to pray for them both. You know, it was just, we, I, there was not much of a flight left to, to get us into Walla Walla. Uh, maybe an hour. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is a paradigm shift. It doesn't just add more knowledge to what you had before. It actually changes everything. Nothing is the same after that. What is a paradigm shift in your notes? A fundamental or radical change in approach or underlying assumptions. So in other words... It's not just thinking differently. It's thinking from a different understanding of things. Now, now, I'm going somewhere with this message today, but I really need you to understand what it means to look at something totally different, in a different way, from a different grid. For example, when my understanding goes from I am a slave or, or servant of God to I am a child of God. 
God is my father. I am part of his family. He has adopted me. He sees me as his child. And see, when that happens, everything changes. And, and that slave mentality begins to be broken off of my life. And, and when that happens, my, my orphan spirit is suddenly healed because I have a daddy. I have a father in heaven who loves me and cares about me. I stop behaving like an orphan. I stop behaving like a slave. I start acting like a son of God. God is my father. And I don't just start to think a little differently. My whole perspective changes. I start living life differently. I'm no longer afraid. Fear actually has no place in my life because God is my father. You guys doing okay? <laughs> there are two different, very different ways that people live life. And sometimes they live somewhere in between the two of them. Uh, one is, is to kind of walk through life as a survivor. From problem to problem, obstacle to obstacle, difficulty to difficulty, just trying to survive, just trying to get by, flowing with the punches, but, but trying to keep going, living on the defensive, just making it, just surviving. Now, the other way to live is very intentional. Uh, this is where I am going. I can see the future before me because I'm looking at the promises of God who is my father. My life has purpose and I'm going forward. I serve the living God. I serve such a good God. I can't wait to see things unfold before me. Living on the offensive. Now, remember the definition of Bible hope. The joyful anticipation of good. I, I not only anticipate good things because I serve a good God, but, but I have these promises. I know what God has in store for me. I can see the land, and I'm starting to walk in it. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I, I don't know if I've ever quoted him before in a sermon, but uh, he said this, the future belongs to those who prepare for it. Now that's an interesting statement. What does it mean? For one thing, the future doesn't take them by surprise because they are seeing it and walking towards it now. They have, they have started creating tomorrow today. They are beginning to step into what tomorrow will bring. Now, now think with me, let's bring this into kind of an agrarian perspective. A, a farmer sows his seeds months before he experiences the harvest. He's actually planning for tomorrow today. And a harvest of what he has planted is coming tomorrow. The seeds that you and I are planting today because we are all farmers. 
We are all farmers. The seeds that you and I are planting today, we will harvest tomorrow. The seeds of our decisions, are, are the choices that we make today, I assure you, we will reap a harvest on them. Now, that can be good or that can be bad, depending on the choices. But, but I want to share it. I'm just about done, okay? I'm going to get done in time, I think. This is amazing. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, he will also reap. The Bible is written from an agrarian perspective. If you don't understand farming a little bit, there's places in the Bible you won't get. See, God is a farmer who is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth until it receives the former and the latter rain and the harvest is the souls of men, women, and children. I used to go to Juvie um, with a program called Life Coaches and some of you may have even gone with me. We would go in there and we'd meet with a group of kids as a group and we'd, you know, we'd share a lesson. It might be about controlling anger. It might be finding uh, purpose by serving others. It could be any number of different things. And, and then when that lesson is shared, we would pair up one-on-one -on -one with the kids. And the hope was always to build relationships, to be able to encourage the kids to make right choices. See, sometimes... All a kid needs is someone who believes in them. Someone to encourage them. But we all know this, change is hard. Especially when you don't see the immediate fruit of that change. But I, I, I would tell the kids in juvie, we, we are like farmers. Every one of us, we are each one living in the crop of the seeds that we have sown in the past. Part of you living through the crop is you're in juvie. You know, that this is one of the consequences for past choices that you've made. But if we start to make right choices, we can change the crop that we live in. Now, we, we might still have to live through some of the crop of choices that we've made in the past, we might still have to live with some of those consequences. But, but if you keep sowing good seed, and, and it, eventually you're going to be living in a crop of the good seed that you have sown. Worship team, please come. There's two more verses I want to share with you. Ecclesiastes 8.11. I remember when I found this verse, Something just jumped in my heart because I thought, the Bible shows you why things happen. And Ecclesiastes 8.11 is just one of those powerful verses of scripture. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. That's the first part of the verse. Because there is not an immediate crop and harvest in the natural there is always a season between seed time and harvest. Go ahead and put that scripture up, James. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. 
Because when someone is making wrong choices and wrong decisions, because they don't immediately experience the, 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 the crop from that, they don't get it. And they don't recognize the connection between their choices and the consequences that come upon them. So they, they don't get it, so they just keep doing evil. But see, that verse in the positive is this. The, the, all as I keep doing what's right, as I keep sowing good seed, I will eventually live in a crop of those good seeds. Does that make sense? And so that's exactly what Galatians 6, 9 says. It says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. See, there's a temptation. You're doing good. You're doing the right things. You're making the right choices, but you can become weary. Don't become weary while you're doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up because the crop isn't immediate. Don't grow weary of doing what's right. You will surely reap a harvest on those seeds. Now, these are the three thoughts I want you to live, live with, leave, leave with today. <laughs> Number one, you've presented your body to God as a living sacrifice. You have invited the, the baptism of fire into your life to not just purify your heart, but to ignite your, your heart with passion for God. Number two, now begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By, 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 by allowing the word to get inside of you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Let, allow yourself to experience a kingdom paradigm shift. Let the word of God get inside of you. Let your values and your perspective come from God's word. Number three, live intentional. Moving towards a vision, a goal, a dream. Lift up your eyes from the place where you are and look at the promises of God. And as you begin to see them, arise and begin to take possession of your promised land. Does that make sense? Let's stand. I'm just going to pray, okay? Father, we belong to you. We have presented ourselves to you. Send your fire. Let our hearts be purified before you. Let our lives be ignited with your passion. We give ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. We give ourselves to your word. Cause your word to renew, to renovate our minds, God. Our deep thoughts and allow us to see the future that you have for each one of us. Allow us to see the promised land in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. I just want to encourage you as we sing this song to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Whatever that looks like for you. If that means coming to the altar, if that means sitting in your seat, whatever that looks like. 
just just let this song just roll over you and inside of you and present to present your body to the Lord. And as you do that, claim that transformation. Thank you, Jesus.
So when uh, Pastor Dave had us uh, stand and present those things that we were asking Holy Spirit to burn up, to take away, when we sat back down, I got a whiff of a smoky smell. It wasn't a bad smoky smell. It was a combination of burning stuff, sort of like a campfire smell, and incense. And the impression was that the things that were transpiring in all of us had a real effect in the spirit. That the things that we presented were burned up. They're gone. They're done. The impression then was we live in an area very agricultural and from time to time we see the fields being burned. The reason one of them that the farmers do that is so that nourishment will go back into the soil and that that nourishing stuff that looks black and nasty and it does smell bad when they burn it but that nourishment goes back into the soil and then Colossians chapter 2 verse 19 was presented to me for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it the things that we presented today are going to be burned away but in the end of it there will be a nourishing there will be a growth stand in that truth Amen. that's right thank you appreciate it so receive that Receive it. I'm going to invite prayer teams to come and be available to pray for people today. The benediction is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. God bless you, saints. Have a great, great week.